See, now you know one of the perks of being the pastor at Pathways Baptist Church is that the practice piano is now right outside of my office. I get to hear her prepare for stuff like that. Thank you, sister. Thank you, Ananda, so much for that blessing. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? I mean, that is the question, right? If our common mission as a church is walking together with Jesus to change lives, and if our personal goal is to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, then it begs the question, what does that look like? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? I understand most Christians are are quite aware that Jesus commanded his followers, what did he say? Go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, even to the end of the age. A very famous, very striking, very powerful passage. That's why we gave it its own name. We call it the Great Commission, right? God's commandment to us, Jesus' instructions to His people. And yet, even with this commandment, go and make disciples, oddly enough, many times if you ask people, so what does that mean? What are you doing with that? What does it mean to make disciples? We remain unclear as to what exactly it was that Christ intended for a disciple to be and for a disciple to do sometimes. Now, Let me be clear, here at Pathways, we have nothing less than a passion to grow disciples of Jesus Christ into full maturity with Him as Christ's followers. We understand that gaining clarity on what it means to be a disciple and to, to act as a disciple means. We understand getting clarity on that is a necessary precursor to doing it well. That's why Pastor Paul, our discipleship pastor, last Sunday gave us a very helpful overview. I remind you, that's on the website. If you need to go back and review that, that's there for you. It it identified some of the key discipleship attributes that help us move toward maturity, encouraging us to focus less on discipleship as a program and to understand it more appropriately as a process, or to use the the more modern language, a journey that we are on with Jesus. Perhaps one might call it a pathway. I don't know. Maybe somebody who's the pastor of Pathways Baptist Church would do that. Matter of fact, I wouldn't just call it a pathway. I would call it pathways. Because here's the thing, folks, while all disciples of Jesus Christ are journeying along the same main path in our individual development as followers of Christ, oftentimes we find ourselves at different places while we are all on that same journey. I love this picture. Pastor Clark brought this to me. I said, that's the one. Because you can see some loops that go off. You see some side, but you see they're all headed in the same direction and they all reunite further down the way. This is the thing 
that discipleship is like. It's a journey. We have different disciples in this room at different places. Some are going through times of trial, and they're learning particular lessons. And there are people who are just coming into that call of Christ, and they're, they're, they're really wrestling. They have friends who tell them, I really question this whole God thing. But in their heart, they know there's something missing, and they're looking for that. And they're in a different place on this journey This is a part of what God is doing with us. He's working with us. Others, He's calling you to a ministry. You're sorting through your giftedness. All those kinds of things. We're different places on these pathways with Jesus. Let me ask a quick question. Any hikers in the room, raise your hand for me. Any any AT fans, uh, Appalachian Trail people? Come on, people. Got to get out more. More exercise. Okay, I'm telling you. Got to get out more. I was lucky. I grew up in Virginia about a mile and a half from a place on the Blue Ridge Parkway where you could jump on the Appalachian Trail. I grew up and did lots and lots of hiking, did 25-mile hikes all the time with the Boy Scout troops, 50-mile hikes, a lot of individual hikes with the Sunday school classes and groups, all kinds of friends. It's just one of the great things. Now, one of the cool things about the Appalachian Trail is that if you understand the signs, the markers, You almost have to be an idiot to get lost. They paint these white blazes. For those of you who don't get out much, these are not naturally occurring phenomena, okay? These white blazes tell you, I am on the main trail of the Appalachian Trail. Now, occasionally, you'll come to this kind of a blaze, if you'll throw the next one up for me. Yeah, now you've got two white ones over top of each other. Now, you're thinking, oh, it tells me to walk twice as fast. No. What this tells you, there are now two trails. Another trail is going to intersect with the main branch of the AT. Now, you're hiking along, hiking along, then you come to this kind of a blaze. Okay, so the guy was drunk when he was painting the stripe. No, that is not the deal. They are offset. You know what this means? Get ready to make a right turn. And it's not obvious. See, a lot of times on the Appalachian Trail, it's very clear where the trail is. But sometimes there's so many rocks and things you don't really see. So they give you a warning. We're coming up to a place where you want to be watching. It's going to, it's going to break right. Don't keep going straight into the woods. You're going to get lost. Now, if it was on the other side, the other bottom trail, it would be slightly to the other side. You know it was a left turn. And then there's one other kind of, of blaze you might encounter. You see the blue blazes on there, white ones, blue ones. A blue blaze is a side trail. Occasionally, it means this is the way where you find water. It's one of the things they do. But most often, the blue blaze is used to lead you to the tremendous views, the tremendous sights. It might take you to a waterfall. It might take you to an outlook uh, in the woods where you can look and see a number of mountains. you got to know the markers. If you know the markers, you're going to be fine on the trail. So here's what we want to do. Over these next five Sundays… We're going to be trying to help all of us get better at identifying and following some of the key markers on the trails of discipleship, on our discipleship paths. We want everybody to keep making progress on their journey with Jesus and our journey, frankly, with each other. But we also have to recognize that God does lead us into side trails at times. They lead us to places of particular refreshment or reflection, a resting place, sometimes to learn a special lesson, to learn endurance. I've got a a, a path that I now follow on my walk-run route, and uh, a lot of them are what we, in my language, call pipe stems, right, the little dead-end roads that go off in the subdivision, and they have these little islands in the middle to help people turn around for all the houses. 
Yeah, I'll run around those. If, I'm, if I want to punish myself or if I don't feel like I've, I'm sweating hard enough, I'll run around those a few times. Just do the loop. That's sometimes what we do in life. We get in a loop, and we don't learn the lesson the first time around. And God says, okay, just keep, just keep looping. You keep looping until you learn that lesson, and you're ready. It doesn't always do that. That's not always works. If you know anything about the Old Testament and the nation of Israel, they went through their own loop, right? Now, their loop was a big picture loop. It would be come to God, get tired and bored with God, begin to disobey, find yourself in deep trouble, cry out to God for rescue, turn back to God in repentance, find God, walk with God, and it it would loop around again and again. This is the cycle. And frankly, as obvious as it is to us when we study the nation of Israel, sometimes we struggle to see that in our own lives. We get bored. We stop paying attention to our spiritual life. We put it on cruise control. Beware, because what happens is you end up falling around and starting that whole loop again. And you don't want to go there. <laughs> you don't, that's, that's the bad kind of loop. You don't want to get into that. So we're going to be working over these next few weeks about how to follow discipleship pathways. Now, before we dive in too far, i got one other thing I really need to be clear about on the front end. A few years ago, three and a half, almost four years now, when we formed Pathways Baptist Church, when we chose the name Pathways uh, in particular just a few months after we formed together as a church, uh, we had some people who expressed concern It's always fair to ask questions about your concerns, folks, who express concern, why would we choose pathways with an S instead of pathway? Um, And and, and, and sometimes I'm really not comfortable using the S because I think it means it communicates to people that all paths lead to God. Is that Baptist theology? No. Is that Christian theology? No. Is that biblical theology? No. So that is not what we mean when we chose the word pathways. We, we affirm very clearly, hear me again today, brothers and sisters, there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved, only the name of Jesus. The Bible says it so clearly, it's true, you can still bank on that. Salvation comes, grace alone, right, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how salvation comes. So, if that's not what we're trying to commit, then why did we choose the name Pathways? Well, we chose it for several reasons. Here's one. We wanted to communicate clearly, and hear it again today. We don't care <laughs> what pathway you are currently on. You matter to God. None is lost to the Father. He can, he's reaching to you today, no matter where you are, no matter what is going on, to your time on this earth is that God is open to you. God is calling you to himself. Matter of fact, he said, our job, church, go out to where? The highways, the byways, compel people to come in. That's what he said. I want people in my family. I want people at my party. That's what God said. I want people at my party. So we don't care what pathway you're on. God loves you. You matter to God. Therefore, you matter to us. Secondly, we want you to know it doesn't matter what pathway you are on. It's never too late to start afresh and get on the pathway with God, with Jesus. And we chose as our theme verse for this church, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean 
on your own understanding. In everything you do, acknowledge Him, and He will, not might, He will make your pathways straight. That's why we chose it. Because we don't care what you're carrying, what path you're on. God says, you can get on this pathway now, and I'll get you straightened out. And for Christians, even if you have already entered through what the Bible uses the imagery of the narrow gate, and you are on this good path, the fact is not everybody walks the same exact journey with Jesus all the time. There are different paths to maturity that not everyone takes. And even if we take very similar pathways, we are very rarely all at the same point at the same time on that same development pathway. You might remember one of my favorite stories from the Bible, John chapter 21. This is after the resurrection. Peter, oh, you remember him, the one who denied Jesus three times? And Jesus appears to him on the beach to straighten him out and to restore him and to say, look, it doesn't matter. I still love you, right? The famous passage where he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says, now, Peter, I have some bad news for you. There's a day coming where people will lead you where you don't want to go. And you will be stretched out in a way you don't want to be stretched. He was foretelling Peter's own death. Now, this is the discipleship pathway that Peter's hearing about. Yeah, take up your cross, follow me. Unless someone dies, he falls into the ground, cannot be born. Okay, so Peter's getting the word from Jesus. You know that death you watched me take on, your day is coming. And Peter did what so many of us did, (laughs) or do. Didn't like the sound of that, so he nominated somebody else. He saw John walk. He said, what about him? (laughs) Now, he didn't come out and say, oh, do that to John. That's not what he said. But he said, wait a minute. This does not sound like an easy, happy deal. What about John over there? And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He, He said in first century Aramaic, he said, mind your own business. He said, what I want to do with him is my business with him. What I want to do with you is what I'm doing with you. Now, you may be sitting here today. Pastor Eddie's up there talking, and he's got such a good life. He's the senior pastor of the church. He's got a great staff, got a great wife, got great kids, got this blah, 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 blah. Well, first of all, you're not walking in my shoes. You don't know much about that anyway. That's the reality, right? We all, we, we all only know so much about each other. But the reality is my journey is different from your journey. I've been through stuff you don't want to go through. Trust me. You've been through stuff I don't want to go through. Some of you are going through stuff right now you don't want to go through. Anybody? Okay. I mean, that's just the way it is. God has different paths. I don't blame Peter. I enjoy that passage. I'm not mocking Peter. I'm just thinking he foretold so much of what church and the life in the church would be like. We think every, oh, it must be easy for Jason up here leading the praise team. So your life's a piece of cake right now, isn't it? (laughs) Peter, last week, life's a piece of cake. Ananda, living 6,000 miles from your family, life's a piece of cake, right? No, That's, that's, that's not what it's about. God has us all on different discipleship development paths. This is why I felt so led for us to look at discipleship pathways for these next few weeks. Here's the fact. Some habits, see, there are some things we have in common on the discipleship pathways. Some habits are common to all disciples. Prayer, Bible study, worship, 
living in transparent community as a church family. These are things that are, are absolutely required. Then there are methods, and, and some disciples use them in some cities and some countries, and they use different ones in different places, and different denominations are better at some of these than other groups. Small groups, Sunday school, prayer gatherings, conferences, training, mentoring, different kinds of methods. And then on the receiving end, we all have different kinds of experiences. The Bible talks about this in Corinthians when, when, when Paul uh, writes out, he talks about how we receive spiritual gifts. He says, well, one hears the gift this way, and they receive a word of knowledge, and somebody else over here receives healing, and somebody else is blessed in a different way, all from the preaching of the same word. So our experiences vary from one to the other to the other to the other to the other. When you leave here on a Sunday, one of the amazing things on a good Sunday when the, when the Lord is here in a way that you're opening up to and I'm opening up to or whoever the preacher of the day is opening up to and God speaks and people are listening, the interesting thing is to be there out in the lobby and have people come by and talk to you about the message. Because when they say, you know what I'm taking away from the message today is, and you get 20 different answers to that. And I, I, the first time that happened, I thought, man, I must be a horrible communicator. Because if I really communicated clearly, everybody would get the same thing. And then I read the Bible <laughs> where God says, no, when you do what you're supposed to do, I take care by the Spirit's work in everybody of what each one needs to receive. You're never going to be good enough to do that. I got that message early on. So I'm praying that God is going to speak to you through this discussion of habits and methods and experiences and the main emphasis. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on the foundational aspect of all discipleship. This is where everybody has to start or there is no discipleship. Now, I had a great pastor when I was younger for a brief time. He used to put it this way. He said, here, here's, here is the goal of the, of the Christian. First of all, you seek God. You seek Him. Seek Him with all your heart is what the Bible says. Now, if you seek me, you will, what does the Bible verse say? Find me. That's the second step. This is the foundational part. If you find Jesus, you know what will happen? You will want to get to know him better. Trust me, if you ever really meet him, it's a magnet. He draws you in. And if you ever get to know Jesus, the real Jesus that is, not somebody's cartoon image of Jesus, you will love him. Seek, find, know, and love. And when you love Jesus, you have reached the foundational point of discipleship. It all starts with loving Him. If you don't love Jesus, taking a discipleship journey doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So loving Jesus is the characteristic because Jesus is the center, people. It is not the church. It is not our denomination. It is not our traditions. It's not anything else. It's not our pastor or pastors or any of that stuff. It is Jesus is the center. Seek, find, know, and love Him. Now, so today we're going to be using as a passage for studying this loving Jesus piece, we're going to be using Matthew chapter 26, but it's a story that's actually found in all of the Gospels, the story of the woman who came to Jesus and anointed Him with some costly perfume. And in Jesus' words, he called it a beautiful thing, an act of loving Jesus, worshiping him in a way 
that was so amazing, the story is still told here 2,000 years later, an act of love that is recalled and honored and serves an example. But in this story, we also learn some lessons about how we can give Jesus our love, how we can worship Him, demonstrating our love. What does it really mean to truly love Jesus as we follow Him? So first of all, let's start with the story. Matthew 26, 6 through 13. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to Him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, let me just stop there just real quick. And who says, hey, you want to do something Friday night? Let's go out. Where do you want to go? I want to go to the house of a leper. That's a Jesus thing, people. This is what Jesus does. Now, here's what happens. So she's, she's pouring out this perfume. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial." I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The Scripture is fulfilled today in your hearing. Now, here's the thing. If you compare Matthew's version of this story with Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to pick up a few other details. I want to mention them real quick. They're not included in Matthew's version. Luke, in particular, mentions that she was, this woman, was a, quote, sinful woman who came to anoint Jesus with costly oil. In other words, a woman with a past. Luke mentions it. Matthew does not. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. Her past doesn't matter. Well, then why did Luke write it down? Luke was a historian. Luke has the most detailed gospel of the whole bunch. When he writes, Mark says immediately, immediately. He's always just in the story. Tells three or four verses, tells the story, moves on to the next story. That's the way Mark writes. When Luke writes, Luke includes details. Matthew, he didn't bother with that because her past didn't matter to him because it wasn't important. Listen to me, neither does yours. Your past doesn't matter to God. Listen, you may have come in here today. It blows my mind, but it happens all the time. People will say, I don't really feel worthy to be here. I'm carrying in stuff. They have so much shame and guilt, and they think, well, I don't really have a right uh, to be in a church. I want you to say, there's no better place for you to be. There's more, no more appropriate place because the room is full of people like you. Uh, I want you to understand that my dream, my, my belief, my goal for Pathways Church is that we don't worry about that kind of a label because Jesus doesn't care about your past. 
It doesn't prevent you from giving your life to Jesus today. And that's what matters. What's in your past doesn't need to stop you from worshiping Him, loving Him, and serving Him today. Do not let your past hold you back. The priority of a disciple. We're going to be looking, using an acrostic these next five weeks. Discipleship paths, P-A-T-H-S, for, P for today. The priority of a disciple. Here it is, simple, to love Jesus. A disciple loves Jesus. We demonstrate our love to Jesus through worship. But a disciple loves Jesus, first of all, because he is worth the very best you have to give. He's worth the very best you have to give. He says, she brought this jar of very expensive perfume. That's what Matthew says. Uh, like I said, he doesn't put all the details in. One of the other Gospels tells us that it was probably worth about 300 denarii. Nobody carrying any of those today, I'm assuming. Uh, about a year's wages. Now, for some of you, that's a pretty penny. Uh, even if you're making minimum wage in Montgomery County, that's about $20,000 a year. So, this jar of perfume, relatively speaking, $20,000 jar of perfume. Can you imagine? First of all, can you imagine buying it? Second of all, can you imagine pouring it on a man's head and feet? But that's what she did. Why did she do that? Because Jesus is worthy of the very best we can give him. Now listen, I'm not asking you to go out and buy $20,000 jars of perfume. The point of this story is not that we should be extravagant beyond our means, that we need to go out and take a loan so we can get that kind of perfume, and then we've got to figure out what blah, blah, blah. That's not it at all. The point of the story is that we should be as extravagant in our love and service and gifts to Him as we can afford to be. What can you give? What will you give? Folks, if you don't understand, I'm barely talking about money. Stewardship of your money enters into that, but my goodness, that's like the minimal thing I am trying to communicate right now. He is worthy of our very best. Years ago, there was a guy named Mike Pilavovich. He, he is a youth pastor in a church in England. He had a kid in his youth group, a group of them. They said, you know what, we, we, we want to grow. We want to learn. We want to do better. Um, so we'd like to have a, a special meeting added add in more than Sunday morning to pray, to study the Bible, to worship God. And so one of the students was kind of the leader of the group, and, and Mike said to him, um, well, what night do you think we should meet? And the student answered, well, to me, the best night of the week is Saturday night, because that's when we all that's, that's when you plan your night out. That's when you're having a great time. You're so let's give Jesus our Saturday night. For a teenager, that was pretty. Teenager, listen. So they began to meet on Saturdays and worship. And they did that a little more. And the guy who was the little youth leader there, he started to write some songs. 
He, he, he wrote one called The Heart of Worship, and then he wrote one called 10,000 Reasons, and then he wrote one called Our God, and then he wrote one called Gracefully Broken, which we sang just a few weeks ago uh, here in the service. The choir sang it for us. Matt Redman, the name you're looking for in your head right now. Those Saturday meetings started a movement because somebody gave God, their, a teenager gave God his best, invited his friends to give God the same best. Tens of thousands of people have been affected worldwide. Jesus is worth the very best you can give him. Be as extravagant with him as you can. If you are saying, to, I need to learn to love Jesus, then here's the thing. Give him your best, the best part of your day, the best part of your week, the, the best part of all that you have. Give it to him. He does not expect you to do more than you are able to do, but he does expect you to give him your best. He's pleased by that. Second key idea for us to take away from this marker of loving Jesus in this story is that Jesus is worth the criticism you will face. And I have to say this to you honestly, in truth and advertising, the sad truth is that if you follow Jesus and if you say, I'm going to do something, anything practically for Jesus, you're going to have to endure some criticism on some level, some form or fashion somebody's going to criticize. The frustrating thing is that all too often the criticism comes from those that you would least expect it from, the ones you would think might support you. And this story, don't think I'm making this stuff up, folks. This is right here in the Bible. This woman pours out $20,000 worth of perfume on Jesus, and the most unbelievable, that wasn't the most shocking thing that happens in the story. The most shocking thing that happens in the story is what his followers said. Why this waste? Oh my goodness. Why? They were indignant. Why this waste? The disciples, not the people looking in the window, not the people that already hated Jesus, not the ones that already wanted to run him out of town, but his disciples said, this act of worship and love is a waste. Wow. And Jesus says, you guys just don't get it. She's here to prepare me for my burial. I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep, he said at another place, right? And they considered this a waste. And that's sad. Isn't that it's kind of offensive. Hey, let me bring it home for you. We have any good husbands in the room? Any wives that would put up and say, yeah, you, we got some good husbands in the room? Okay. All right. So husbands, you, you, you buy your wife the dress she has longed for. You've seen it on her in the store. It looks spectacular. You get it. You get it on her. You go out to dinner. You meet a friend in the restaurant, and you say, wow, that dress, look, look at that dress my wife. Oh, yeah, I see it. That thing costs 500 bucks, but I want you to know it's worth it all because it's my wife. And your friend looks at you and says, you an idiot. What a waste. Your pastor didn't just do that. Blip that out of the video, please, Clark. I, I probably shouldn't have that. 
This is what they said about her gift for Jesus. It's a waste. Now, listen, the disciples were not always wrong, but on this one, they were way wrong. Giving the best you have for Jesus is never a poor use of your resources. Ministering to Jesus, loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, sacrificing for Jesus, it's never a waste. The disciples completely missed the point. Now, the other thing is I want you to catch something here, folks. This verse ought to teach you something about the critics. Because let's just think this through, okay? This is not deep exegesis, folks. This is reading the Bible and engaging it. This woman is ministering to Jesus, pouring out $20,000 worth of perfume on him. Complete the sentence here for me. While the disciples are doing nothing. Oh, this is the life of the critic. Somebody else does something. Oh, the critics got something to say about it. They'll criticize your motives. They'll find fault with your decisions. They'll complain about your methods. But you got to understand that for the critic, their criticism is often a smokescreen meant to disguise the fact that they themselves are doing absolutely nothing. Wow. So don't let the critics stop you from worshiping Jesus. Don't let them stop you from expressing your love for Jesus. It's worth the criticism. It's worth the criticism. I, I, I can tell you, over the years, I've had people criticize mission trips that we did. Well, I'm not, I think you might have spent a little too much money. Of course, they hadn't been on a mission trip. They didn't contribute to send somebody else on the mission trip. They just want to give their palpici on it. Folks, your investment, your love for Jesus. And you know what? Can I just tell you a secret? Yes, there have been times we've made bad spending decisions on mission trips. That's not my point. My point is that not that I'm above criticism. That is not the point. The point is beware, critic, beware of yourself when we do it, right? When I do it, when you do it. We need to be aware and ask ourselves, wait a minute. Instead of challenging and criticizing somebody else's motives and methods and all that stuff, I need to say, wait a minute, what's my smokescreen about? What am I doing? What am I giving to Jesus? When you give Jesus your best, there will be people who bring the criticism. Don't let it stop you. The third thing you need to know about loving Jesus, he's worth your attention right now. I mean right now. This is what Jesus says in this story. And, and I want you to listen carefully because this verse has been so mis- I've heard this verse quoted in so many places and Mm, at least seven times out of ten, it's misinterpreted. He said, the poor you will always have with you. Now, please understand something. People who really support social ministry, activity like that, they might say, that's a, a valid point. It's a valid point. Extravagance is inappropriate when there are so many people suffering. And yet, oddly enough, there have been people who've used the same verse to make the opposite argument because there are those who say, the Bible says there will always be the poor. Why are you burning through all your resources trying to eliminate a problem that's never going to go away? People are just using you. (laughs) What is it? Again, 
This is not the point Jesus was making. So don't take either one of those as the answer. Jesus' point is that she was to be commended, praised for what she was doing right now. Right now. Look what Jesus said in verse 10. Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Listen, helping the poor is a good thing, yes. Not being wasteful while you do that is a good thing, yes, but that's not it. As a matter of fact, as far as helping the poor goes, you might remember it was just the previous chapter of Matthew where you have that whole sheep and the goats thing. So understand that this is on the table. But he's telling his disciples that the most important thing in our lives at any given moment is our love for him, our devotion to him. And do you know when the right time to show Jesus your love is? Right now, thank you. Ah, those are, you're the smart kids. No, I'm just kidding. You're all smart kids, I get it. Some of you were still reflecting on the question. Yeah, I, I get it. But right now, the difference between this woman and the disciples is not that she had expensive perfume and they didn't. The difference was that her heart was focused on loving Jesus right now while she had opportunity and theirs was not. It's that simple. She was willing, ready, and able to do something right now and they weren't. They preferred to talk about their own good intentions. They preferred to talk about her poor decision-making and this waste of money, to pontificate on how others should be doing things. I know you've never met anybody like that, but it does happen occasionally. But they weren't prepared to do it themselves. He'd been telling them for three years, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to do that. And they weren't prepared. They weren't treating every day like it was his last day. They were barely paying attention and getting the messages. But she got it. And I want you to zero in on this with me right now, folks. She worshiped Jesus. She loved Jesus in the present tense. Her heart was focused on him in the now. She worshiped him in the now. She served him in the now. And if you want to worship Jesus in a way that pleases him, let me just suggest, don't just talk about what you might do one day. Certainly do not waste your time pontificating about what others do that you don't like. Get up and do it right now. Love Jesus. Give him what you've got to give. So that brings us to this point right now. Have I got your attention? The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. You want to love Jesus? The first thing you have to do is realize today is the best day right now to give your life to him. Why would you lose another moment? He loves you so much. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. That's what he wants. Now, if you've invited Jesus into your life, but you've never really let people know about that, you're not sure, you want to, yeah, it's time to let people know that publicly. It's time to say, I need to be baptized. That's that beautiful song I'm on to saying. I am spirit-filled and water baptized. That's what Jesus asks us to do. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. Love him. Worship him today by doing that. Christians, if your love for Jesus has been in a cool-down phase, it's been cooling whether by distraction 
or disobedience or whatever else it might be, why not come back to Jesus right now? Right now. Worship Him now. Recommit to honor Him as the Lord of your life, not just your partner comes along once in a while, but the Lord of your life. Giving Him the best of your life and your money and your talents and your gifts and all that. Worship Him now. Give Him the best you have to give now. He's worth it. He's worth your attention right now. So, that's our message for today. We're going to conclude, but I want you to look at this phrase one more time. He said, she has done a beautiful thing. This is how we express our love for Jesus, folks. We're not judging each other over the way we worship and all that stuff. This is how we tell Jesus we love him. It's something to celebrate. She has done a beautiful thing for me. Give the best of your resources while you have the time, in this moment, in the now. Even if other people don't get it, even if they find fault, even if they criticize, because He is worth it. Amen?